Hi, I'm Krawluck, and this is Gamers Explain. In today's episode, I interview an Australian user named Genesis Act, and we discussed primarily the um, issues that the member has with their health and how gamers playing and play by post in general allow them to access a hobby that has become quite difficult for them. Um, we talked briefly about that and then we launched into a whole bunch of other uh, play by post gaming nerd topics that uh, was just great. Um, topics like should we should we railroad? Should we ever do that? Or can we? Or should we derail our own railroad or plots? And um, what kinds of games work particularly well on play by post? Uh, Genesec talked about um, systems in games and how they inform the plot and the tone of the story and how they're influenced by those mechanics. So it turned into a really great um, conversation and I'm glad to share it with you. So please welcome Genesis Act. Hi and welcome to Gamers Explain. I'm Krawluck and I have with me Genesis Act from Melbourne, Australia. Good morning. Good evening. <laughs> yeah. 16 hours difference. It seems it seems like spooky and weird that it's tomorrow for you. Uh, you know. You probably hear that all the time, oh, connecting with... say hello from the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, so you're just on the other side of the international dateline for me, I guess. I'm not even sure where it passes. Um, um, it's, it is it is down the Pacific. Pacific. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and it is very much not a straight line. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's actually quite amusing. There's a whole bunch of like small island nations that were like... You know, we'd much rather be on the Australia side of the dateline than the US side of the dateline, so we're just gonna like move the dateline around us. <laughs> um, which is, yeah. Um, I, I had, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I don't know if you've watched my other videos where I, um, and one of them used a very unfortunate Australian accent. <laughs> uh, I have yet to get up to, to that particular episode, but I have heard. Yeah, yeah. Um, Most, mostly comes from having an Australian rugby coach who uh, was just really amusing, and I lo loved listening to him talk and give us motivational speaks, speeches. Um, <laughs> so why don't you tell me a bit about yourself and your history? When did you start... Um, getting involved in tabletop role-playing. Uh, gosh, my, my, uh, my, the first time I tried to do something in tabletop role-playing, I was, I think I was like, it was a good 14, 15 years ago now. Um, and I tried to invent tabletop role-playing games. <laughs> I, I, I was well into reading books at the time and I loved playing board games. So I decided that I wanted to make a board game where you could tell a book. <laughs> um, so I, I set about using my, my D6s and I tried to invent a, a, a tabletop role-playing game. And then my, my parents like found this thing and they were like, oh, you know that already exists, right? <laughs> like, um, they got out their, um, their AD&D box and taught me how to play D&D. Um, and then like that Christmas, I got, I think it was third edition was out at about that time. So I got some, some third edition books and just got into it from there. Never, never, never looked back, played far too many systems at this point. Um, it all started with me attempting to invent the tabletop role-playing games. That's awesome. I, I know when I was a kid, we played uh, our friend's brother taught us to play and then we wanted to play uh, like a James Bond type game. So we just made one, right? We basically just made rules and came up with like stats for vehicles and stuff and spent a lot of time making it and just never played it. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> well, well, like game design is, is a really fun thing. Yeah. Have you tried 
continuing that at all? Like designing your own games or? Uh, I've, I've never, what, what I would consider to be fully completed a game, but I have like seven or so like half constructed things where it's like, all I'd need to do is really sit down and like polish off this rule set. <laughs> do a little bit more playtesting and surely I'll be able to call this a finished game system. Um, and then I go back and I look at some of the older ones because it's like, oh, surely the older ones are the ones that are closer to being finished, right? And I look at them, I'm like, I do not agree with this de design philosophy anymore. <laughs> I do not like this game. Uh, I'll just look, take that off the pile, put that somewhere else. <laughs> Have you seen um, Zine Quest on Kickstarter? Happens sometime in like March or April. No, I, I've um I've been real lax on keeping up with the new Kickstarters. What's, so, uh, what's what is it? So Zine Quest essentially is their promotion for like one month where you put together people put together like these very short, very small magazine style role playing games, and maybe they're like a buck or two bucks or three bucks. Maybe they're only a few pages. And um, so for the entire month, I think it's March, this might've been the second year they did it. Um, they just aggressively promote within Kickstarter site, these um, different zines. So it's a way for small games, not, you know, like 400 page tomes that you might get from a publisher, but um, <clears throat> a lot more innovativeness, I think. Yeah. Because I do, I do participate in the. Oh, I can't, is it the hundred word RPG or the thousand? I can't remember off the top of my head at the moment uh, what the competition is, but it's it's something like the the thousand word RPG, where you have to write a, an entire or a hundred word RPG even. You have to write an entire role playing system in just like a hundred characters. Um, <laughs> the, I, I think I think the original competition was like. Um, it was write an entire role-playing system in, I think it's a single tweet. Um, so 144 characters, and then it kind of like expanded a little bit out from there. And it's such an interesting constraint to play around with. It's like, oh, I've got to be real careful with my like choice of character or word here. Um, so that's, 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 that's one thing that I've been playing around with recently um, for the last few years. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll keep a, an eye out for ZineQuest next time. I'll, See if I can get something ready for publication by that point. Yeah, right. yeah, and I, yeah, I think it's um, it's meant to be kind of pulp and 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 rough, like you're not, you're not looking for color art or anything like that, or maybe even any art. So, yeah. Um, how did you find out about uh, play by post gaming? Um. So I think it was back in 16, um, uh, sounds about right. Um, I, was, I was on a site called Faerun RP, where it was essentially uh, kind of like gamers playing, but with slightly less mechanical adherence and a much bigger focus on just the, like a specific setting. Um, the, and uh, I was I was playing in games on there, and uh, the problem was that the like that site was dying down. There wasn't a lot of um, engagement on there anymore. So um, it was like I was only in like one or two games at that point. And somebody uh, on there uh, I can't I, I I can't remember who they are. And also when I tried to go find them on like people who I've played with on gamers playing, I couldn't find them there either. So I think maybe they were like. I found this alternative, but I'm not going to it myself. <laughs> um, and so, sort of weird situation. Um, but I, I, I checked out the link, and it was it was gamers playing. I was like, this is really cool because it's exactly like what we were doing on on Beirut RP, but uh, better because there was more systems and it's not focused on anything. And actually, there's like rule adherence because um, Beirut RP was very much one of those just like. You, you tell a story collaboratively. So uh, you had, you, you made a character sheet, but you very, like, you never rolled. You, you more just said stuff happened based on like what abilities you had. So it was like grounded in tabletop role playing games, but not really tabletop role playing. Um, but yeah. 
That's interesting. I'd be more or less being on the side of since. If you did, you investigate any of the other choices? I know I did. Um, I found gamers playing and have never tried anything else. <laughs> yeah, since since landing on gamers playing, I've I've been sufficiently happy with like the the community, I guess, um, and the the way that it works. That I haven't haven't felt the need to explore the alternatives, or at least other than the alternative that took me to then subsequently took me to gamers playing. Yeah. Um, we we're talking offline about that you've got some health issues that I think interfere with your ability to participate in uh, live table play. Did you, was that always the case or have you, did you used to participate in live gaming? Um, uh, uh, I, I, not only did I used to, sometimes I still do. Um, okay. It, it's a, it is quite sporadic. Um, uh, when I was when I was a kid, I almost exclusively participated in live play. Obviously, but um, when I was a kid, I was uh, young and full of boundless energy. So even though I had, um, I still had the the same underlying issues. I was at least able to more like energy brute force my way through them to sit down and 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 play um, at a table. But then even as a kid, I like I hear stories about like. When I was a kid, I was playing like these eight, 10 hour sessions. I'm like, what? <laughs> when I was a kid, I was playing these six hour sessions and I was completely wiped out afterwards. <laughs> um, and nowadays it's like, if I'm at a table, it's it's gonna be a four hour session and there needs to be a break in the middle, uh, um, which is, uh, it works for some games. It doesn't particularly work well for D&D, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, very glad to have an alternative, though. Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. Um, I know a lot of people play on uh, Gamers Plane because they just can't find local groups. Like, there's people that live in small towns and or uh, communities that are remote, or or maybe <clears throat> like me, you just can't find enough people to game. You know, twenty four hours a day. <laughs> Um, so like people get onto uh, gamers playing for all kinds of different reasons. And I think for some people it is, um, you know, the only alternative to, especially, you know, COVID has really taught us that, that if you want to game in person, you know, everybody's health is kind of in interfering with, uh, with our ability to meet face to face. Yeah, um, I think my my period of greatest activity on on gamers playing it was definitely um, times where I've just been completely waylaid and you know sort of not really not really getting up and out of bed or being able to do anything. So in those situations, having having something like gamers playing where it's not just yeah yeah it's essentially that like a vague need to just play for. 24 hours at a time pretty much because you sort of just want to not be where you currently are and being on like you know being on gamers plane is essentially being somewhere else yeah so kind of like a escapism or something very much so but very much so and also a distraction just an excellent distraction yeah i don't want to say a better distraction than like trying to play um like doing something like a like an, an online play instead of a play by post. Um, because I think it's like a different mode of engagement where you can kind of, you, you can be in that space for longer. But I don't know about you, but like even just being on a, on a call can sometimes be quite wearying, but just doing the tippity taps and, and typing things out, you can do that for, for hours on end. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm, um, I'm quite introverted. And um, what that really means for me is that um, engaging socially with people, whether it's over a call or in person, just really drains my batteries. <laughs> yeah. I know that, that feeling. Yeah. But for some reason, for me, that doesn't extend to too much to, um, to typing like messages to people. Um, 
I, I do find that as this is my brain has this interesting distinction between oh no this is a social interaction and this is you're just typing on a computer yeah well the um <clears throat> I, you're right it's, it's very much a different kind of social interaction like you're not um holding your face a certain way to communicate like you can just you know ignore <laughs> ignore your body and just kind of focus on getting your words onto the page <clears throat> yeah um so we were talking a little bit about um <clears throat> Um, that, uh, how you've managed to try like a ton of different games like you haven't stuck with the 3.0 books that your, your parents got you for Christmas or, uh... <laughs> what what draws you to try two um, of different games uh, I think even from the the start when I when I played, those two systems, like back to back, pretty much you know, within the same year, I learned how to play AD and D, and then I learned how to play third edition. Um, I saw that those two, even though it was the same game, those two games like had a completely different um, like play experience. Um, I, I, I quickly realized that the, the rules of the game have uh, an impact on the, the the outcome of the game, the stories that you tell. And I love exploring that sort of like the interplay between the mechanics of the game and the stories you can end up telling in the game. Um, so I very much try to find systems which um, explore essentially that theme. Um, well, all systems do in a way, but I love it when the, the designer of that system has actually set about and thought how, how, do, how does the mechanics and the narrative interplay with each other? Is, are they like, are they doing what D&D does, where it often um, the two pillars of play to me interfere with each other? Like when you're having good narrative, normally you're having good narrative in D&D because you're not playing D&D anymore. You just put the dice aside and you just chat. Um, or is it uh, something more like Blades in the Dark, for example, where you've got this positive feedback loop of the mechanics inform the storytelling, which inform the mechanics. Um, so I've always been curious about how that sort of works. And that's driven me to just try as many systems as possible. Yeah, I, I entirely agree with that. Um, the games like Shadowrun are known for having a crunch and like there's, you know, 50 different vehicles you could drive or there's, you know, 200 guns or, you know, there's just every piece of equipment has this huge option of, of um, a huge range of options and part of that to me through the theme of the game gives you a sort of information overload right it gives you this this idea that you have all of this data in the world and it's just you can you can sort through it very much like you would as a decker in the matrix and find these little nodes and those little pieces and say this little thing and so like you said the the mechanics of that crunch and having and, and the weapons are all different. They have slightly different stats. They have different, you know, balancing points. And uh, so there, there is a reason to sort through all of that data. And I think that just fits in with the game so well. Yeah. Um, Shadowrun is actually surprisingly good for that. It's such a crunchy system. But the way that it is such a crunchy system really, like, I feel like it feeds into the, the sort of narrative that like it has where it's this, it is this very crunchy world where there's just so much information out there and part of your job is to just sift through it and find like the, the one piece of important information that you need. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> there was, um, back in 1991, a game called Vampire the Masquerade came out and, and I don't know if you've played that much or the world. Um, I've, I've played New World of Darkness. I haven't played Old World of Darkness. Um, so I'm, I'm familiar with, with uh, yeah. Vampire. But. One of the, the huge innovations for me was this idea that a central character trait was based upon your personality. 
you have a, a nature, which is how you internally are, and a demeanor, which is how you portray yourself to the outside world. And they can be in opposition or they could be unified, you know. Um, but this, and then I, one of the hugest, largest um, mechanics in the game revolves around willpower. And willpower is replenished by satisfying your nature and demeanor. So it's sort of this mechanical need to role play your character as written on the sheet, right? Re role playing this, this personality. And I think that really changed a lot of gaming for a lot of people in that instead of just having, you know, you have an intelligence score. No, you've got a specific personality trait that you have to follow. And I think it just really kind of revolutionized role-playing games for me anyway. Yeah, because I think, I feel like it's vaguely safe to say that most people have as their touchstone, like D&D as their, their first role-playing game. But D&D kind of isn't a role-playing game. Like, in 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 a really weird roundabout way, D&D is actually a, a tabletop minis game where you you play a single character and you you go around and you move that on the table. That's sort of what D&D is if you look at its like core rule books. It's it's a it's a tabletop war game essentially where you play one character. Um, it's got this wonderful culture that has grown up around it, where it's like, actually, no, we're, we're more here to tell stories. But mechanically speaking, it is just a, a tabletop war game. Um, whereas that, this, that could be a spicy take, actually. This, this, could, get us some, this, this could get us some engagement. Uh, <laughs> but uh, games like the, the, the sort of the second, and, and most of the things in the, like what I would consider to be the first wave of, of role-playing games were very much a similar sort of thing that very much felt like it was more of a like very close to a tabletop war game and there wasn't a lot of like mechanical engagement for role-playing uh, and in fact a lot of the mechanics were to like skip over role-playing um, and then things like vampire style coming out um gosh i don't have the other example but i know that there is another big system that was coming out at about the same time which had a much larger focus on like character narratives integrating with the, the mechanics of the game. Um, uh, it's going to bug me. Fudge maybe or? But yeah, the <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit later, but yeah, was it a bit earlier? Um, it's a little bit later, but that's about it's about right. Although even then, GURPS, GURPS is his is the um. It's an interesting case because um, they tried to make a universal role-playing system and my basic premise for how role-playing system works is there is no such thing as a universal role-playing system uh, <laughs> because one role-playing system will not be able to tell all kinds of stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I think we would both agree on that is that um, the flavor of the of the system of the mechanics informs the type of play that you're going to evoke at the table and so you can you can do anything with any system you don't even need you don't need mechanics to to role play and tell good stories but like you said if the system itself like D&D has no real motivation built into it in order to in um, encourage character role playing then that's likely something that can easily fall aside. Gosh, my, my favorite example, it's been my favorite example for some time uh, of like just a system that works so well for, for telling a story is uh, it's, it's a system called Reflections by Jim McClure. Um, it's like a small system, wouldn't expect many people to know it. Um, I did run like a, a game of this uh, it's actually still on running um, because of how the game works um, in Game of Plane. And it's an, essentially, it's a two-player RPG. Um, one person is playing one samurai, one per the other person is playing the other samurai. You start with like this dramatic sequence where you're like doing your announcements just before you start a duel. Um, and then it's like scene break. It's like written into the mechanics of the game. It's scene break and then you jump back to like where it all began. And you play like, like vignette by, vin by vignette of just the 
the events that led up to that dramatic moment. And um, throughout the, the whole time, virtually no role play, uh, like lots of role play, virtually no dice rolling involved. Um, the only thing that happens is at the end of every scene, um, you kind of like bid on what might happen in the scene. And then you, depending on what you get, you either get like, I can't remember what they name the two different kinds of dice, but it's like angry dice and not angry dice <laughs> um, based on whether or not you bid correctly. And then in the end, uh, you, you pick up all your dice. Uh, you, it's, it's a reasonably short, it's 100% a like a one shot sort of system. You're not supposed to like do a, a long form story. It's, it's very much a, and it's, it's interesting actually, because it's been vaguely designed so that if you were doing it face to face, it'll take about an hour and a half, like to two hours at most. So like it was designed with this very specific, this is about how long this game should go for. And this is the exact story that you should tell. But um, yeah, the final resolution, you pick up your dice for the first time. You decide whether or not you're rolling with anger, which, you know, um, like, which is just a decision really that's based on like in the moment, is this character like, uh, is this character approaching this duel calmly or angrily? Um, anger, you pick up your angry dice as well. And then you just dump this like fist full of dice on the table and you count how many like of the highest dice number you have. And then you compare with the opponent and that's it. That's that's the end of the duel. The second it's like, well, you've got more sixes than I do. Your character strikes mine down and that's it. You don't, you never, you never talk about the fight scene, uh, <laughs> which is hilarious. Cause it's this long running like thing, setting up this massive fight. And then it's just, it's a one and done. You roll one dice. And then my favorite part, which was impossible to integrate into gamers playing is throughout the whole time you've been filling out this like character sheet with all of your assumptions about what you were what was going to happen in the scenes you have to hand that over to your opponent and they pick it up and they tear it in half in front of you <laughs> it's such a cool mechanic <laughs> it's like your, your 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 character is dead i struck them down i'm going to destroy your character sheet now um and it's it's just it's such a cool it really it like the mechanics of the game was so carefully designed and so carefully like constructed around the idea of this is exactly the story you're going to tell um, that it doesn't matter how much genre savvy you have about like that sort of um, like samurai v samurai film which was super popular and I think kind of still is um, uh, in like the 90s um, like but you don't need to know any of that because the game sort of like makes you use those tropes in a roundabout way. It like teaches you what, what the tropes are and then it also like helps you put everything in, into the right place. And that's like an interesting and cool experience to have um, instead of having to like worry about how am I gonna integrate like this story with this mechanic system? It's like, no, this, this mechanic system is literally making me tell this story. Yeah. We started playing a story game um, recently it's called the machine so essentially you find a journal and your character is going to die right so every scene and, and it's just you a scene is just you writing a journal entry at the end of it or at the beginning of each scene you, you flip a card and once you've gotten three face cards or aces you die right so essentially your your character is going to um well, that, that's the end, right? It's, it's going to happen. And so the, the journey is what happens as you're investigating this machine. And then with the cards you draw basically give you a mood of what happens and then you just kind of make it up. And, and then when you're done, you send the journal to the next player. So it isn't a, like a, you act, I act, you act, respond. There's simultaneous, right? It's more of a, journal, a, a sequential journaling experience. With a, with a mechanic that kind of forces you to um, <clears throat> integrate a certain emotional journey. Gosh, I love that. I'm literally putting that into my phone now so that I can, I can look into that system later. Yeah, the game just started this week. And so um, look for philosophers, 
Phil underscore Aussie underscore fur. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, that's the first time I got that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've played alongside, like, I've, I've always just like, it's Phil Aussie fur. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've never put that together. <laughs> I interviewed, I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago and I didn't ask him about it. <clears throat> um, yeah. What else were we going to talk about? There was a, this idea of railroading and derailing games. And you and I, when we're talking offline, had this similar kind of note that we're both kind of seat of your pants gms where um, there's this there's this meme of you know the player asks the gm you know wow you've got this whole world planned out don't you and the gm looks at their notes behind the gm screen and just a sticky note that says sexy goblin <laughs> and the gm says yes it's all planned out <clears throat> so that sort of sandboxing, which is really just not having a plan and reacting to your players, giving them feedback and obstacles and encouraging their growth is very different than a rail railroaded game where is like, this is the plot, you're going to follow the plot, no matter what happens, the plot continues, right? <clears throat> um, have you... Have you tried the railroading approach earlier on? Like, did you run modules when you were younger or? Um, no, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever really engaged in railroading. And at the same time, I think I kind of always engage in railroading. It's just, I'm very good at hiding it. Um, Cause I mean, I mean, often, and it's not necessarily when I, you know, before the game starts, I, I have in my head where it's all going to go. But normally by at least like two sessions in, I have in my head, it's like, well, this is, this is like the arc that I'm going to try and tell now. And it's not like I know where all of the story beats are going to be, but I kind of know where I want to, where I want to like cajole all of the players to get to in the end. Um, and normally that is like, I don't like start with that in mind, but normally it's just based on like what the players start doing and start getting interested in. It gets the, the wheels sort of spinning and in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, this is the story now. I can see, I can see where it's going. I can see, um, I feel like I've almost, I've almost always, cause I don't think I've owned a module. I think, I think I literally don't own a, a, like a D&D &D module at all. Um, <laughs> except for like maybe a couple in 3.5 because there was some interesting rules in that module. I, I've got a lot of setting notes and that's just about it. Um, gosh, did, did you ever play around with trying to railroad? Yeah, well, I uh, when I was younger, we, we created mostly these adventures that had <clears throat> very set parts. And if your players deviated from your you know you'd spend like 15 hours designing a dungeon if your players decided they weren't going to the dungeon you're just going to teleport them there like <laughs> forget your agency i've spent time we're doing this and uh that's not very satisfying for players <laughs> the because this idea of agency right that their that their choices matter is is key in keeping them engaged and now your process that you just talked about about setting down the first couple sessions you're really just listening to the players figuring out where everybody's focus is and then and then creating a plot that follows along that those lines of focus that seems to be something that people tout as a design feature of powered by the apocalypse games where like games like masks where you don't have a setting you sit down the players through their creating backgrounds in a round robin kind of way, generate the setting, and then the GM is really stuck with that setting. And so it seems like a mechanical way of trying to enforce what you're doing somewhat naturally. Yeah, um, I, I definitely have, like, I find um, 
PPTA tends to work really well with how I think about like the mechanics or the mechanics of storytelling, I guess. Um, although for me at the moment, I'm I'm just going all in on blades, blades in the dark uh, and the, the in the dark system. For me, it's just perfect because it's the it's the game that I'm running in my um with my I guess like my real life group at the moment um, because I haven't found a good way of adapting blades to play by post yet because it kind of does require a bit more of that like there needs to be a certain amount of meta awareness and um, it, that's very hard to kind of like push through on a play by post this kind of like meta narrative kind of element to it um, that. I turn up to my, my Blaze in the Dark session and even though in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, this is where we're like three sessions away from the season finale sort of thing. I've got very clear ideas about like where the plot's going, but I, I sit down at the table knowing absolutely no idea what I'm going to be doing today. <laughs> and I run the game. <laughs> I sit down and I'm like, gosh, I wonder what, what, what kind of heist the crew's going to throw at me today. What, what kind of, what kind of, wacky plans that they've got, got coming up. Yeah. Um, and for me, that's like, that's, I, I just love it because it's, it's exactly what I want. I don't want to be like, I don't want to be worried about the, the, like the minute detail. I don't, I don't really, don't really mind turning up and being like, okay, I'm just going to make everything up now. I'm, I'm at the table. If, if, if the notes don't like fit on a, on like an index card it's 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 too many notes <laughs> i uh, i try i try and run heavy political games in in my real life um because my players really seem to like that you know games where you've got 40 or 50 npcs all of which can be have fully realized their own internal arcs and agendas and they kind of just float around trying to figure out how to get people to work together and that requires just a ridiculous amount of notes. And for somebody like me who is entirely improvis improvisational, it's, uh, it's a real challenge in note keeping to, <laughs> to try and um, <clears throat> to take any notes whatsoever and then remember what, what people have done. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. Gosh, it's... I don't know. I to, to to vaguely return to the original topic of like railroading uh, versus sandboxing. Because um, even then, like if you're if you just give the players a completely open space with like no no kind of like direction or like some kind of manipulation on your behalf to kind of force them to make a plot, I don't think they ever do. I don't think it's very rare for a sandbox to actually turn out with some kind of like you'll, you'll have stories along the way, but you won't have a story um, because players players like shiny things too much. And they they get ooh, ooh. Um, it's it's <laughs> there definitely needs to be like for me it's like some somewhere in the middle. That's 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 where it's the best, and it works best if you're not planning ahead. Or at least for me, it works best if I'm not planning ahead because if I plan ahead, I'll I'll probably just like. I'll probably just ignore what past me said anyway and just make, make up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny to look at my notes at the beginning of games because I'll, once I've got that idea of an arc in mind, once the players have told me what they're really interested in, so I've created a story arc and then, um, you know, at the a year later, I'll look back my notes and I'm like, not we we didn't do any of this. <laughs> who are these? Who are these NPCs I made as like the linchpin? Uh, villains for the they never came up <laughs> gosh i one of the things that i did try to do when i was younger um was i had like a i tried to do like a bait and switch sort of like it was this villain all along sort of thing and we literally never got to the point where i got to do the bait and switch <laughs> like too much other stuff happened which like kept distracting the players from getting to the but that was the villain all along moment, um, and it was a it was a it was a great game. Like we, um, it ended with like a, a massive um, interparty betrayal where the you know 
the, the party was in like an incredibly dangerous spot and then the rogue just killed the wizard and 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 season uh <laughs> no we never we never dove into like the it was it was me all along moment uh that was planned uh was but it was still it was a great story it's just all of those <laughs> all of that planning was like no nah. and i think it's really because at least for the style of GMing that I tend to use, it kind of doesn't make sense to have something not in front of the players. Like the the players sort of need to have a sense of like we're heading towards this thing. Um, so ever since then, it's it's been like if, if if they're like if they're if it's like a manipulative or like a political style campaign, it's more of the like you're going up against the Lex Luthor character sort of thing. It's like. I know you're evil. You know that I know you're evil, but they don't know that <laughs> that you're evil, and that we're even having this fight. So we're going to like we're going to have this 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 great game together now, where we're going to try and prove which one of us is right and which one of us is wrong, sort of sort of situation. Yeah. Because otherwise, if the players don't know about it, it essentially doesn't exist. The players will never run towards something that they can't see coming. And hurting players is completely pointless. They, they, they'll never willingly go in the direction you want them to go in. No, there, there are a few tricks. And um, I saw this video once. I can't remember the name of the guy. He's like the storytelling GM or something like that. And he would just tell these stories about gaming. And one of them was that um, if you ever want the players to do something, steal their money. Just steal something from them, right? So you could be like a 10th level player and you've got like a castle, but if somebody comes along and steals 50 copper pieces out of your wallet and runs away, the players will hunt this and the next year hunting them down to get their stuff back, right? <laughs> I do actually want to test that now. Like what's the marginal value required? Like, is it literally anything? Could you like, the like, a completely like RP object, like uh, the the thief comes by and like snips off part of your scarf and keeps running. Will <laughs> they chase them down? <laughs> yeah, to to the extreme of that. One of the first when I moved to the city that I moved to, I joined a gamers club in um, university, and the first game I played in was AD and D, I think, and the uh, first scene was. A wet uh, beachside wedding. So the paladin in the party was marrying this woman. And then at, just as they say I do, this basically this pirate ship comes in and kidnaps her and then sails away with this with, with the paladin's bride, right? We spent the next nine levels chasing down this this stolen bride, right? And this, this led to an epic confrontation at the end where we all basically just stand back and said, you know. The paladin and the evil villain were just going to go fist to fist and fight it out. <laughs> but that's a little more than 57 copper pieces. No, stealing a human being, I feel like that's definitely, that's that's the impetus for an entire arc. Um, <laughs> stealing 57 copper pieces, I would love to find out if that could be an impetus for an entire arc. I would, I would love to see what, what, what arc that looks like. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I like you'd, you'd almost want to do like a, a, a comedy sort of thing, like just play it for laughs. <laughs> if they actually fall for it, <laughs> just stop, stop making it real clear that <laughs> just how ridiculous it is. Yeah, I think the GM's lament in this one was that. It was just kind of a throwaway encounter. He had a thief come up, pick pack one of the pickpocket one of the players, and then run off. And the players abandoned everything that they were doing, and they chased this guy down across a continent. <laughs> but <clears throat> so, if you ever derailed your own plot here's here's a random question for you you've created your own plot you're following the character's focus and at some point just flipped the board over and said you know everything's changing we're doing something 
something completely just randomly terrible happens, or I don't know, just spitballing. I think it's a really hard sort of question to ask though, right? Like if, if the plan is so vague that you don't even know what the story beats are, can you derail the plot? Like <laughs> what, what sort of suddenly out of nowhere? Um, actually, no, I have, I have done that. I've totally done that before. Um, one of the, like the first few D and D campaigns that I did that I ran after I um, started like I, I found a group and they were kind of like doing this like round robin thing where we all took turns being GMs. And then it, it was my turn. I was like in my second game, I think ended up being my turn to be the GM. Um, and uh, after I started being the GM, I never got to stop because uh, the, the, the players were like really, really had a, a lot of fun with me as the GM and nobody wanted to like, Nobody wanted to pick up the mantle after I did because they were, you're doing it too well. <laughs> that was your first mistake. Um, but the, the story started off being very focused around this, um, like, you know, the, they, they were looking after this, like, village, essentially, like a, a small town, like, in, uh, and the entire story was focused on, like, you know, we're, we're building up this community, we're making it good, like, we're, we're protecting it from monsters. And then, um, I had in mind, I had this end goal of like, you know, resolving this to at, at some point, just having it so that the, the village was actually safe and like integrating it into the, like the nearby larger empire as like a, uh, un under a favorable treaty. Cause I felt like that's, that's the only, like, that's the most logical way to pay off the, the labor that the, the parties put into like this community. So that's, that's what I was aiming towards. And then all of a sudden I, I just randomly decided to to chuck an undead army at that village, <laughs> and I literally was like, "No, nah, this village is this is this place is gone." Like, <laughs> you know, the the player characters were away doing something. They come back, and like, I've described this scene where the the entire place is just like besieged, and you're not gonna. It's gonna be hard for you to get back in, sort of thing. Um, this this place is essentially doomed. And watching them try to like to struggle to even save any amount of people from this village suddenly became this incredibly like emotional um, point for them because they'd been pouring. And I, I don't know exactly why I did that because I wanted to elicit that response. It was like the the story was stagnating. The resolution wasn't going to be particularly like wasn't going to be particularly interesting or, or good because it was like well we're, we're kind of just like sliding into the end of this story here so completely just chucked something out of left field completely ruined the original plot um and instead now there was this completely different substantially more interesting plot where it was like a people in exile story yeah which is good fun so yeah i have derailed my own plots before yeah <laughs> Well, that's a good example because if you've got everything railroaded and planned out, even if you're, it's not a railroad, but a, um, you know, light cyber, light, lightsaber duel on a roller coaster, <laughs> um, it, you know, you're still going towards this, this finish and <clears throat> derailing it can certainly add that um, sense of newness and, and change the entire um, perspective. I used, to, I used to run a Space Master game, very, very crunchy system from the 90s based on Role Master, and just a wildly successful game. But one of the things that really made it work for me was once or twice a session, I would just pick up a pair of percentile and drop them. And if I rolled a five or less, I derailed my own plot, just completely. Um, so like one example is they're, they're working for the intelligence service of the human empire, space empire. Mm -hmm. And so they're going along in a hover car and then I dropped the dice and I rolled like a, a two or something. So I'm like, bang, a, a shot cracks and your, uh, your contact is killed just like by this sniper. And so then they chase down the sniper and they find like terrorists with, with um, 
fusion weapons. And then this leads, leads into an entire plot and then aliens. And it just like, you just got <laughs> whatever I had planned before that. It was just completely, they just followed it and jumped. And, but that kind of excitement um, is hard to plan. Yeah, like it is, uh, I was gonna say it is hard to plan for just incredible excitement but also sometimes it's like, it's really easy to plan for incredible excitement. It sort of depends on the, the, the group that you're playing with. Um, but I, I do like, I love spur at the moment decisions. Um, it's, I, I guess that's the entirety of my like GMing style is just, I love coming up with random stuff and then dealing with the consequences. And I love it even more when the players come up with random stuff and then I get to deal with the consequences and then force them to deal with the consequences. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause to me, that's, that's, that's the best part about collaborative storytelling. If I, I wanted to write a book, I would sit down and write a book. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not just here to like create, you know, I've got, I've got this plot that I've got and I just need you guys to fill out the dialogue for me. Um, to me, that seems like such a, <laughs> such a, a weird idea to have. It's like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. I just need like, you know, y'all can sit around and fill in the details of like what the characters were feeling. Yeah. Um, it, to me, that doesn't make sense. Like it's a collaborative story. So it sh you, you really should be like sitting down and being like, okay, what, what are you guys interested in? Where, where do you see this plot going? Even just like sitting down, I don't know how many, I've never had this happen to me, so I don't know if it's a, 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 a common thing, but just sitting down with your player and asking them, so where do you see like so-and-so's arc going? Like, where do you see your character, like, where do you see your character in five levels? Not in terms of like, you know, what the build is going to be, but like, where are they going to be at with their life? Like. Uh, do they want to be an adventurer forever? Or do they want to settle down and retire in this like cozy little city? Um, wh where are they going? Why are they doing this? Um, under what circumstance would you be like happy to like see this character go? Um, uh, I, I, I tend to do that a lot for a fair number of my games. Like if it's a, anything with a, like a longer sort of play style to it, sitting down with the players after like you know five or six sessions and being like so i've started to think about the future now have you started thinking about your future yet <laughs> yeah. um uh, yeah i do uh, that in i do that in um vampire affair yet where it is so much so much a sandbox game there isn't really any end right there's no there's no I, I never plan an end. Like I never really plan some kind of big confrontation, and then they they win they win vampire or something, right? Or they've solved. Their, they can go to retire. They're immortal, right? Their 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 hunger only grows. So, <laughs> um, talking to them in periodically is like, where? What are your goals? What 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 does your character really want to accomplish? Like in the next hundred years or something like that, and that gives you as a GM because I'm evil, something to dangle in front of them and deny, right? Exactly. <laughs> you, you can... That's exactly what, what you're there for. It's like, no, no, I want to know what the thing is that you want so that either I can stop you from getting it and it'll be interesting or... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or you give it to them, but it's not quite what they hoped for, right? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, the, the twisted wish. <clears throat> Good old monkey's paw. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh, let's let's think about calling it pretty quick. Um, one last question for you, and you might have already answered it indirectly. But what do you think is one thing that every play-by-post user should know about about gaming? Um, is that like, like gaming on the platform specifically? Yeah. Or yeah. like just in general? Um, I, I, I said it at the start, I'll say it again. If like, don't feel bad about having to drop out of games, but let people know. 
<laughs> because like 100% from my perspective, sometimes I can, I'm doing fine and I'm in so many games and it's okay. And then other times it's, I completely run out of bandwidth and I can't handle it anymore. Uh, and I'm, I, I feel bad and I know that I'm dragging these, these games down with me. So the best thing to do is to just cut, say, sorry, I, I can't anymore. But also to let people know, because if you just disappear, it's it's not good. So use the use the there's the, the is the absence the absence thread is certainly still going. It's it's going to be massive now. But like just drop into the absence thread and be, hey, I'm 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 going to be absent for a little while. Um, feel free to replace my character, or feel free to write me out of the plot, or anything like that, because. Gosh, as a as a game runner, you don't want to be sitting there being like, I've got two people on my on my sheet who haven't contributed in the last two months and I don't know if they're ever coming back or or what's happening. Yeah, and so you you've done that a couple of times, I think. You've um oh, I've definitely done that a couple of times. <laughs> and and just for the, the casual viewer watching this, you know, um you've you've been a member of the site for like five years or something. Something like that. I've, I've been around for a while now. Right. Um, so you haven't you haven't felt that you've needed to just delete your old account and create a new one. <laughs> you've, no, gosh. you've come back successfully. From I'd, I'd have to like rebuild all of my like vague amount of cred if I deleted my account and started a new one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, would, 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 do people even like? Is that a thing? If people like are away for a while, do they delete their old account and make a new one? That well, seems like such a. Yeah, interestingly, in the interview I did with Hero Among Men, um, when I was chatting with him, I found out that he had done that, and so we talked about that in the video where oh. he had been. Um, he'd actually been in my Princes of the Apocalypse. D&D 5th edition game under an user called Chief 12 Justice and then at basically at some point he just um, life hit him and he just disappeared right and then after like a year when life settled down again he's like I just let I just I never told anybody you know I feel so bad so he just created a new user and pretended like that the other the old him wasn't was somebody else <laughs> but <clears throat> But I think like, like you've said, posting in the absences thread, telling people that life's hit you like a truck and you're gonna be gone for an indeterminate amount of time. So just move on without you is, um, is laudable. Do it if you can, because um, <clears throat> your players care about you and, and your GMs and they wanna know that you haven't just disappeared. And I mean, like, it's definitely preferable to know. Like, I don't think anyone would would rather not know whether or not this player was was gone. Even if it's like, I'm, I'm gonna be gone for like two weeks and then I'll be back. Um, just dropping it into the absence thread is just the, the, the good way of doing it. Especially if you're in too many games, like most of us are. <laughs> how, many, how many games are you in? What's your what's your secret number? At the moment, at the moment, I've been really good and responsible. I'm only in two games, <laughs> one of which is kind of not going at the moment. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, um, I, I I've tried to budget um, budget myself, and but but at some points, I I was in a good solid. I think I think my record was I was getting really close to. Um, the Jabe's record, I was in something like 20 games concurrent. Um, and I was sad that I wasn't able to, I was just short of the Jabe's record of concurrent games. Yes, yeah. I think it was on like 22 at that time. Um, so I was like, mm. yeah. Um, and, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and now I just, I'm in 20 games and I do not have the, the bandwidth for 20 games anymore. <laughs> time to prune the list down a little. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like the concept of the secret number. That's definitely 
<laughs> that wasn't on your list of questions, but you should add that on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All right, well, thank you very much for joining me, uh, Genesis Act. Um, on Good to be here. Yeah, same. Well, thank you. I'd like to thank Genesis Act for joining me on Gamers Explain and the wonderful conversation that we had. Next week, I'll be airing my interview with Knife Edge Games, a British user, a very long-term play-by-mail, then play-by-email, then play-by-poster, and their long experience with um, gaming remotely has uh, led them some interesting insights. They also use older systems like Warhammer, Fantasy, um, more often than newer systems, and there's a reason for that, so we get into that. The other thing we talk about is <clears throat> um, running games for long periods of time. Uh, the Warhammer Fantasy game that he runs for me is in its fifth or sixth year, and what does that really look like? How do you keep players and um, motivated and replaced when they when they disappear? Um, the other thing we talked about is being an introvert and being an actor, and are these things linked? Uh, both of those will be defined in the video, and I hope you stick around to enjoy that. So. Uh, once again, this is Crawluck, and this has been Gamers Explain.